Welcome back to the Only on the Midwatch podcast. I'm your host, Ellison Barham, joined by my co-host, Josh Kanak and Dan Shelley. We've got a special guest for you guys today, John Rennie. He was a submarine officer during the Cold War, and he's got plenty of years of experience teaching people leadership skills um, in business, over 20 years of experience. And uh, we are excited that he took the time out of his day to come on our show. John, thanks for joining the show. Hey, it's good to be here. So, uh, John, you have a book um, called uh, Deep Leadership, correct? Yeah, so I have a podcast called Deep Leadership and yeah, a, book called, yeah, a book called I Have the Watch. Yep. And uh, that's the leadership book that I wrote. Um, yeah, it turns out, I, you know, I spent uh, only five years. I was on the USS Tennessee and I got out in 94 and I went to work in corporate America and I realized that... Uh, Hey, leadership is a lot different in, uh, you know, in companies compared to what we, what we, you know, dealt with on the boats. And um, so I didn't realize it until after, you know, about, I did 22 years in corporate America and up starting my own company. And I figured, you know what, I'm going to write a little bit about some of the things I learned, you know, basically on the boat, but then, you know, how did I apply it in, uh, in companies? And, and uh, I tell you what, it's a, it's a big difference. So, you know, you go from a place where everybody's qualified and everybody's competent to a degree, right? So, sure. but there, you know, you got fish on your on your, on your shirt, right? So you're at least qualified, but uh, to where, you know, maybe the person that you're working for isn't capable, and uh, that's a little hard to, you know, um, hard to deal with after coming for, you know off the the boat and having that kind of experience, being around really talented people who are qualified. That was that was a little hard to take, but again, after 22 years and, and starting my own company, it's just I got to write some of the stuff down because I think it's, uh, <laughs> the lessons were really powerful. And 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 I only realized it now looking back, you know, being older and looking back, say, wow, that was a really solid foundation. Yeah. yeah. So um, I've been listening to your podcast, and uh, and you said that it's not a long read at all. I've actually got it on my Kindle and was surprised that I would finish this in less than two hours. <laughs> so. That's uh that's pretty sweet because I have a short attention span. Um, but well, uh, you, you know, know what? Everyone does, and so that's why I wrote it so I can read read it in two hours. That was yeah. Yeah. I actually yeah. uh, I actually yeah. just bought the book today on Amazon. I bought a paperback version, and uh, I, I hadn't you know I bought it today, so I hadn't got a chance to read it. But one thing uh, after doing a little bit of research, you said leadership is a people business. Yes. And uh, you said you listened to the the podcast with uh, with Jason Pittman that we did. He his nickname at, at Squadron was the People's Captain. So I I kind of got a got a feeling that you guys have a lot of a lot of similarities when it comes to leadership. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I liked his episode so much. I mean, he didn't come right out and say leadership is a people business, but he certainly you could tell by the things he talked about that he believed in that kind of philosophy. One thing he said that really stood out, in fact, I, I wrote about it after listening to the podcast, was he said, leadership is theater, right? Oh, um, yeah. And I've noticed yeah. that my whole life. I've run eight different manufacturing plants over my career, and now I'm running my ninth one with my own company. But everyone is watching you as a leader, right? So I was never a captain of a submarine uh, like Jason, but I was captain of my own manufacturing plant, right? So and and everything you do when when you come in when you leave uh, uh, are you late to meetings are you uh, are you attentive when you know you're walking on the shop floor talking to people everybody's you know got their eyes on you and watching you. In fact, I when I first came into the civilian world, I, I was an engineer that hired me as a design engineer for this global company, 
And um, one of the offices they put me in, I, I got I got assigned to this office with a window, and they said, "Well, your job is this." I said, "See that parking spot right there? That's the general manager." Your job is to let everybody know when he comes in and when he leaves every day. So, I mean, you know, that was a powerful re- reminder that it is, you know, you are on stage all the time. And what you say and what you do is really, and, and even what Jason said, too, is even what you don't say or even who you're looking at is is everybody's watching you. So it's, uh, yeah, that was a really good episode. So I got to have him on my show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure he'd be glad to do it, too. He's a super great guy. Yeah, he really seems like it. And yeah. and then the other thing was interesting, his his music background, you know, mm-hmm. that is a really unusual thing for a guy to come into the nuke world and, you know, go through nuke power school prototype and go through that whole thing. And he's not an engineer, right? He's yeah. really unusual. So, but yeah. the, the thing about, uh, you know, Captain Pittman, uh, too, is he was great, but he had great people around him, too. Our Cobb. Uh, I don't know if you got the chance to listen to the to the podcast with Cobb Owens, but um, he was uh, instrumental in that whole process with us too in leadership. He was, you know, I I put him up there with with any Cobb that's that's ever served. I mean that the the triad that we had was I, mean, I put them against any triad. I mean they hmm. were they were they were top notch. Hmm. Um, yeah, well, you have. Uh... Sorry, you have a – go ahead. No, I was going to say with the triad, you're including the XO in that? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, because mm-hmm. you know, one of the conversations you guys were asking was like, what does the XO actually do? <laughs> was a fun, fun conversation. Yeah. yeah, that was me. <laughs> made me think about it too. Like, what yeah. do they do? And we had – during uh, – when we had uh, uh, Captain Pittman and, and Cobb Owens and even uh, um, uh, Cobb Leggett, he, he was good too um, – but we had we had a two different XOs under their regime, and every XO and I was a, a yeoman, so I, I worked directly for the XO. Every XO we had was was top notch and awesome. I think it's kind of uh, in, in part to their ability to lead, you know, uh, just because you got you got an XO, a new XO coming in and, and into a brand new system, and uh, if he kind of had his own agenda and they didn't have effective leadership, then maybe it wouldn't have been as synchronous. But um, but they were effective leaders, so it didn't matter who fit into the puzzle. I mean, that's probably like the def- that's how you can identify whether or not you're a good leader, right? If you can, if you can get any everybody on board to push towards the same goal, then that's leadership in a nutshell, right? It really is. You know, we we get so there's been fifteen thousand books written on leadership. So obviously, we're trying to figure <laughs> this thing out, right? Nobody really has a good answer, but but you know, I like the definition. And a guy named Kevin Cruz wrote it and he said, you know, it's leadership is about motivating people towards a goal, right? It's three things, motivation, it's people and a goal. And we get lost in all the other things about what leadership can be. But if it's about motivating a group of people to achieve something in, in, in most cases, very difficult to do. Right. So, you know, taking a taking a boat out to sea, you know, you know, conducting the missions that you conduct. And getting everybody home safely is not easy, right? And especially when 20 to 25% of the crew is changing over every time you're, you know, you come back from a deployment. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not easy to do. And uh, and so these guys, and, and, and you think about it too, you've got 18, 19, 20-year-old kids and you've got <laughs> weapon systems and nuclear reactors and, you know, and, and radar, well, not so much radar, but sonar and radio systems and what have you. 
And it's all this complex machinery operated by these young people. And you think about it, you go to corporate world, and if you're a young person, they don't give you anything to touch, right? Don't touch a thing. You're going to break it, right? you gotta, you got to be in this company for 20 years before you're allowed to do the difficult stuff. And we were allowed to do it at a really young age. And so that was a hard thing, too, to get used to, coming out of the Navy and having done some pretty amazing things. And then when I when I got there, got to my, cor- my first corporate gig, I was a design engineer, I mentioned. And uh, it's just like... You're, you're not, you're, you have no authority, right? You're, mm-hmm. Here's your, here's your desk. Here's your computer. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're going to do some drawings some engineering prints and you have no authority. And yet, you know, I went from, you know, making patrols to, you know, sitting in a cubicle, basically. <laughs> so right. like, it was a little hard to deal with. So, so. John, I got to, you know, we kind of got on a, uh, a, you know, leader leadership topic there, but uh, um, a, a lot of our listeners, you know, they're, they're kind of curious about you and uh, where'd you start and how'd you, how'd you end up finding your way in the, in the submarine service? Yeah. So I'm, I'm one of those crazy guys that, um, well, so, you know, I served towards the end of the cold war. Right. And so it was a kind of a different time. And so, you know, we had the cold war was on, we had the Soviets and, and the Americans, and I just was fascinated with underwater warfare. I just thought that was this, the, the most amazing. It was just sort of like another another dimension. You know, I, I was fascinated by the World War II stories I read, and, and my, both my grandfather served in World War II. And I just, the, the idea and, and the, the missions that the, the submarines did in World War II, the U.S. subs and, and the heroics and what have you, I just said, wow, that's just fascinating. And knowing that the Cold War was, there was a lot of interaction between the Soviet boats and the American boats and and I just said, that's what I want to do. And I and I knew this even in high school. Like I wanted to, this is where I wanted to go. And, um, you know, when I did a little research and you find out, well, you got to be an engineer, right? You got to be a technical person. You have to be strong in math and science and what have you. And I, I don't come from a long line of engineers or, or any, I mean, both of my grandfathers were enlisted. There was no officers in my family, nothing. So I just had to figure it out on my own. And um, for me, it was about getting to the fleet, getting to the boats. <clears throat> I knew to get there, I had to go for, for, as an officer, I had to go the nuclear route. So I went, I went to engineering school, studied mechanical engineering, but I did it because I, that was a way to get to the boats. So I wasn't, you know, some people go study engineering because they're just fascinated with engineering. And I did like it, but to me, it was about getting to the fleet. How do I get to the, how do I get to the fleet? What am, how can I improve my chances to get to the fleet? And so if you think about it, I, I wanted to, I wanted to drive boats. I wanted to be the officer of the deck. I wanted to do, you know, I want to do all the fun stuff that you can do on the front of the boat, but to get there, I had to go through the engine room to get there. So mm-hmm. it was a long, long process to get to where you're finally qualified officer of deck. And you're like, that's what I came here to do, you know? So but yeah, but for me, it wasn't that uh, some people are just naturally gifted as as engineers. I was not. I just had to work my ass off the whole time, yeah. and, and and I really did. Nuke power school sucked. I mean, it really sucked for me. So yeah. And where, where'd you grow up? So I grew up in Manchester, New Hampshire. So uh, I'm a New England guy, and um, hmm. you know, my one grandfather was Navy, and uh, he served on a destroyer escort. Uh, and, and they were actually a sub hunter. So he, uh, um, he was on the USS Frost, which I think had five, uh, took out five German subs during World War II. So, you know, I, he was on the other side of it. My other grandfather was, was army, but those two had a big influence on my life. So Mm -hmm. it was almost like, I'm going to serve and and what am I, what do I want to do? 
but uh, for me, at least, uh, submarine warfare was always just fascinating to me. So on your on your podcast, you said that you were uh, surprisingly to to your audience that you were an introvert before, and so I wonder if like you uh, did you ever doubt that you might did you did you have like do you feel like you had this leadership quality throughout your entire like you know childhood growing up until you became an officer or nah. were you uh, where did that come from? How did you tack that onto your tool belt? I have no idea. I mean, it just happened, you know, you know, you show up to the boat. Here's the thing. It's so amazing. You know, you show up to the boat or you're 20 something years old, 20, what was I? 24 years old or something like that. 23. And you meet your chief for the first time. And he's been in the Navy about 20 years. Right. So <laughs> what, how, you know, it's funny. Cause when I, when I met, I was, uh, I was the RCA when I first got on board. Right. So I had the reactor controls group and it's a small, it's a small division. Right. Um, and we had a chief who would, you know, very capable. Everybody, in fact, as I met the group, everybody was just top notch, right? And I thought to myself, well, what the hell am I here for, right? You know, what? <laughs> I mean, these guys—they don't need me, right? I mean, so so that was really interesting, and and it, and it happened later on in my career as well. I I went took on my first manufacturing plant, and I found the same thing. I was 32 years old, and I had people working in that plant that had been there over 30 years. So how do you? How do you lead people who are older and more experienced? And uh, it's a really interesting leadership dynamic. So I think getting thrust into that, kind of thrown in the deep end, if you will, in leadership and, and having to you know, lead it as a young person, um, I think that really, you know, I, I watched, I observed other leaders. I saw a senior enlisted, how they did it. I saw the way our captain did it. And I was like, oh, there's something here. There's something, you know, there's something about leadership that is... Uh, when you have it, you have it, right? Like you talked about your Cobb and your, your CO and XO, they were a great, you know, great team. When you see that, it's really magical. It's really, it's really powerful. And I think maybe I just kept learning and learning and learning. And I think really when I got to the civilian world, I really saw that it was lacking. And I think that's probably where I said, wait a second, I've observed all these great leaders in the Navy. I need to do this in, in business, you know, cause there, there, it was really lacking in, in business. Hmm. And my, me and my, uh, my roommate, we're both, uh, fire control technicians in the Navy mm -hmm. prior. And we had just had a discussion the other night about, um, they were doing SEC ops. I don't know if, uh, I don't know if on boomers, you guys do a lot of SEC ops, mostly probably fast attack. I don't know what yeah, you do on boomers, probably. but, um, he said that they had a bunch of officers come on officers come on and they're doing like their PCO and PXO, they want to, they're getting qualified for all their, their duties that they were going to have to do when they become XOs and COs. And they would come on and they would make all these mistakes and they weren't listening to the operators, the junior, like not junior, but like the, the like the second classes that, you know, the guys that have been in, then in the Navy for four or five years doing the job that like, that's their specialty. And they would not uh, listen to, their recommendations of the people that are specialists in their, in their job. And they would blunder because they were having issues with, you know, th they have this big overall picture of what's supposed to happen, but they're trying to make small minute decisions on things that they're not really well educated on and they should listen to their operators. Do you have experience with that? Um, and even in the ma manufacturing world or maybe any, any times in the Navy where officers or, you know, executive type people have to kind of delve deep into their into their lower level ranks to see what's actually going on in the world. 
you know, it's, it's, it's the sad part is it's, um, it's a problem, right? So, um, especially I saw, you know, working in, in business, working in corporate America, there's a feeling when you're in, when you're a manager, if you're a vice president, I was a vice president for years, a vice president, general manager, but the people see, they get these titles, right? And they feel like, well, then they know more than the people that work for them. And so they spend a lot of time sort of secluded and away from the people that are actually have the knowledge of the, of, of the products or the manufacturing processes. So, you know, one of the things I always talk about is that you've got to get out of your bubble, right? You know, there's a, what I call a leadership bubble. So it's, you're, you're, you're with all your yes men, right? You know, and you're surrounded by people that, 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 you know, support you, like you, whatever. And uh, you got to get out there. You got to get on the shop floor and you got to talk to people. I'll give you a quick story. I was, um, my first manufacturing plant, um, I'd probably been there a couple of months or whatever, and I walked out to one of our assembly lines. We were making circuit breakers uh, there. So, um, and I noticed this guy had this mallet, and the, and it had been worn down to just a nub. So it was like a handle with two nubs on it, and he was using it. And I said, well, I didn't, I didn't even recognize it as a mallet. I said, what, what is that? And he said, it's a mallet. And I said, well, what's wrong with it? <laughs> It's worn down with the nub. And he said, uh, well, it's it's worn out and, and we're just trying to make do. And I said, Well, have you told anybody about your this this tool is not, you know, not functional. Have you told anybody? And he said, Well, you know, everybody's too busy. I don't want to bother them with these minor issues. And the thing is, and, and I actually took it from the operator. I said, Can I take this? And yeah. And I, and I brought all the management team together and I and I just said, guys, I said, this is the tools we have on the shop floor. And 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 our, our our employees are saying we don't we our, our our managers are too busy we don't want to take the time to talk to them. I said you're not too busy. We've got to get out to where the value is added, right? Yeah. It, we got to get to where that where 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 you know the real work is being done and listen to the people who know how to do it. And and it was really it was an eye opener for me at least that they said well, you know everybody's too busy and they were almost afraid to bring an issue to management because they, they felt we were too they were too busy. And that's what happens. Too many managers get isolated and they think they know what's going on, but they don't spend enough time to where, where the real value is added. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, um, you know, when I was off so deck and what's one of the things I always loved was just that interaction, that interaction in control and just having those conversations and talking to what was going on in sonar, what was going on in radio, uh, fire control technician. I mean, that, that was always my favorite because <laughs> he was always right there. And, you know, we just had a lot of good conversations yeah. you know, about, yeah, what do you think's happening? You're, you know, well, we were stacking dots back in the day. I don't know if you still stack dots, but it's quite a bit more advanced now. <laughs> say that that, that, so, that kind of goes back to your book. You know, leadership is a people business. That's uh, uh, yeah, that's exactly. Well, so think about it too. You know, I mean, you know, this is uh, on the midwatch, right? So you know, think about the midwatch, right? You had these conversations that were just crazy, right? You know, all these stories, and you and you knew everything about, and it wasn't just like. Enlisted, enlisted. It was officer enlisted, right? You know, you mm -hmm. stand. I was, you know, I'd be um, standing engineering officer of the watch, right? It was myself, and you had a throttleman, a reactor operator, and you had um, electrical operator, right? The four of us, and we would just sit there and talk. For us, it was six hours. They were six hour watches. You'd stand there and stop for six hours, and you, you know, tomorrow you do it again, and then you do it again, and you do it again, and you have all these crazy conversations. You get to know people really well. And what I noticed coming to, you know, working for a corporation is that nobody had that relationship. They didn't have those tight bonds. And 
that if you're going to lead somebody, if you're going to have, you have to have a relationship with those people, right? You have to know what makes them tick. What, you know, what, what motivates them? What, what, you know, I mean, we knew everything about, we, well, as you guys know, you knew every ex-girlfriend story, you knew every, you knew yeah. every story ever. Right. So, so, um, you know, it's just, it's just something that it was really bizarre to me that we didn't know each other in, in, in the corporate world. So that took me a little bit to get used to. And uh, the other thing too, is I think it probably started as a leader in the civilian world with that. There was a, you know, a kind of the military had this sort of, you know, don't fraternize with the troops, right? You could be, you can have a good relationship with it, but you didn't break that bond, right? You didn't become friends, if you will. But, you know, it, it, I sort of went into leadership thinking that way, but I've completely changed over the, over the years. I mean, I'm friends with my best employees. I mean, they, the people, and it, and it's merit based, right? It's the people that are, are killing it. I want to have those deep relationships with, and, uh, and I want to, I want to be there for them. And I want to make sure that they, uh, you know, they know that I've got their back. One of the things is um, I read a great book. It's called first break all the rules. And that's the first one that that kind of opened my eyes. And they said, you know, leaders spend more time with their problem employees than their good employees. And we've got to spend more time with our good employees. And that's what I try to do. Yeah, yeah. I think it's yeah. a pretty interesting um, that you said about the whole fraternizing thing, because when you get yeah. when you go to boot camp or whatever the, your your indoctrination is at, as an officer or enlisted, it's always like, don't don't fraternize. With yeah, the, yeah, with the other side or whatever. When you go into the submarine force, I can't speak for any other community, obviously, but you go into the submarine force, you realize that is not the case. You're in close proximity with with both sides. You guys live, eat, you know, breathe together, uh, very literally. <laughs> um, so you get oh, yeah. really close, like you were just saying. And when I exited the Navy, um, I got, I was a manager at a gym for a long time, and it, it was weird because there's like this, um, you know there's like this disconnect with the way that for, for example, people don't understand why you might, I think most civilians now don't really understand why you might want to take an investment in on their personal life mm. and really try to get to know them. Um, but what's different is now I do construction and construction. The nature of that kind of job is kind of similar to, you know, being on a submarine, right. Industrial environment. And these people, from the general contractors, from the from the company owners down to the to the guy just banging away at the hammer, talk about everything hmm. you know, all the time. And it seems to me, from my experience on the certain civilian jobs, experience in the in the military, and now doing construction work, that the best leadership quality comes out of those genuine relationships. Like you cannot fake good leadership, and people yeah. know bullshit a mile away. You, if you're not a good leader no one wants to deal with you, you know? Yeah, so true. It's uh, authenticity. I talk, talk about it too, is just, you got to be authentic and, and the people that are faking it, I mean, everybody knows you're faking it. Right. right. And uh, so I think it's having that authentic and part of it is being, you know, uh, and opening up in some cases being vulnerable and, and uh, sharing, you know, I mean, it's kind of a fine line, for example, COVID, right. COVID comes out. Right. So, I'm, I'm running my own business. My employees are like, what's going on? Are we going to shut down? Are we going to make it? You know, what are we, what are we going to do? Well, I don't have the answers. Right. So, you know, I could, I could BS and play. Well, we'll be fine. Everything's gonna be great. You know, everything's gonna be great. You know, or you can say, look, I don't know, but here's what we're going to do today. And things might change tomorrow. And just having that open conversation and, and having that relationship with the people that they know, 
well, okay, I, I've worked with him for a long time. He's not going to lie to us. He's not going to, he's going to give it to us straight. And I think, you know, having that being authentic, you know, and not, you know, what I say is, is be real, but don't panic, right? When you have situations like that, right? I'm not running around like a chicken with my head cut off, but I'm saying, look, there's some things I don't know. You know, can we continue to operate? I don't know. Are we going to be considered essential workers? I don't know. You know, and just having those, you know, honest conversations with people so that you're not BSing them, you know, you're giving it to them straight. And uh, that's, I think that's really, really important. You know, the other thing too, with, with having a relationship with people, as a leader, sometimes you got to make hard decisions and sometimes it sucks, right? Like the decision you're going to make is going to, it's going to adversely affect people. And that's one of the hardest things to do as a leader. But if you have that relationship, people know who you are. They understand why you're doing it. It's, it's, it's a different situation than if you're just this distant manager making decisions in a vacuum, right? Uh, so just ha- having that relationship is really important. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, kind of, you brought up COVID earlier. And uh, to, to me, it was easy, you know. Uh, it, like any hardship you have in life is you, you have to look at the task in front of you and, you know, in, in dive school or me and Josh were, you know, both were lucky enough to go to dive school. We had, I had guys in my class that were like, Oh dude, pool weeks next week, man, what are we going to do? And I'm like, we got a six mile run. We're about to do now. Let's get through that. And then yeah. worry about the next task and the next yeah. task. And then, and then you, you worry about all these little, t- what you have in front of you and you accomplish that and you keep chipping away and eventually you're going to be at pay dirt and you're going to be done. You have to look mm-hmm. at the task that's in front of you. You know, don't, don't try and get through the next five days or five weeks, five months, get through the next five minutes. And, yeah. you know, yeah. Well, as, a, as an entrepreneur, I'll tell you, that's the, probably the best advice you could give anyone who tries to start a business is get through, <laughs> get through today, you yeah. know, Check the bank account in the morning. Check the bank account at night. I forget what I was watching. I think I think it was a TED Talks. Um, I, it sucks that I don't know how to quote it, but they were talking about uh, like Navy SEALs and how the like everybody that goes into that program just to just to be able to qualify to be a Navy SEAL, you have to be a pretty high level human being. Uh, you have to be smart and you have to be athletic. And you have to get, you know, through the Navy screening process and into that program just to start. And the people that actually make it through to the end are not necessarily the crazy, like, just insanely motivated, badass people, right? It's not, that's, everyone that gets there has that, you know, just as a minimum. And it's the people that learn how to reward themselves for the small milestones on the way to get there, like, all right, at the end of this thing, I'm going to get, I'm going to get a really good chow time. And you just, you make it through whatever task you have in front of you and you learn how to mentally reward yourself for what you just been through. And you just take it one little tiny step at a time. And I thought that was crazy. Like, like I never actually thought about like, if I even took the time of the day to congratulate myself for something small that I accomplished. Yeah. What I think is what I think is kind of interesting, and it makes me kind of wonder, John, why you why why um 
leadership is is your thing like why that seems to be your focal point um you know i i would imagine it's because kind of the things that you noticed from the military and, and then your venture out into um the business world and corporate america and then entrepreneurship but for me it's kind of like um you know leadership is i personally believe that if you're going to be a lead, uh, the best leader is one that leads by example and so what that means to me is i have to fix myself because i cannot be in in my world in ellison's world everyone is is a leader right like everyone should aspire to be a good leader and so if i'm going to do that i have to learn how to lead myself which means that i have to learn like what josh was talking about how to reward myself for these small little increments of accomplishments these small little milestones okay i woke up this morning and i made up the bed sounds funny but that's that's something that I literally reward myself with every day. Like I make up the bed. I'm like, yeah, I just made up my bed. I wonder how many people actually wake up in the morning and make up their bed, you know. Um, but like, so what was it for you that kind of made you zero in on um, leadership? Well, I think when I came out of the corporate world, um, I actually had a transition period and I met a guy who's a, he was an army veteran, but he helps people with careers and things. And I was like, what? I don't know if I, you know, I got out of corporate and I said, I don't know if I want to go back in corporate. So I spent some time working with him and he said, he said, you have two problems right now. And I said, what's that? He said, one is nobody knows who you are, right? You have no personal brand. You have not anything to build your personal brand. The second thing is you have, you've let all your contacts get stale, right? So I worked in, I worked in corporate America for years. And um, when you're in corporate America, you're sort of like, I was a big fish in a small pond, right? And then when I got out, I was I was a nobody, right? Nobody knew who I did. They didn't know I had how many plants I'd run, all the things I had done in my career. So I think um, he said, you know, he says, what do you what do you know a lot about? So well, I know a lot about leadership because that's what I've been doing for twenty at that point probably twenty five years. And he said, um, you should be writing about it. You should be talking about it. You should. And, and so he got me thinking about it. And then as I as I started writing, and I was like, oh wow, I, I mean, I do have all this stuff that I've been watching leaders do things wrong for years, you know, maybe it's time to share some of that knowledge and some of that wisdom. And I think it's probably, I, I started realizing at that point too, that that foundation I had on the, on the boat really you know, stuck with me all, all the years. It was, the, it was the thing that made me different from the other managers in the business. So I think it was that transition period. And it was interesting too, because I decided to go back into corporate America. I did I went for another global company after that, after that time. And I was in there for three years and I said, I, I'm done with corporate America. This is, it's, you know, you know, for those who are listening in and maybe work for a big company, it is just, it's soulless. It's, it's, it, there's no personal, it, it's just, it's a, it's a terrible place to work. It's a terrible place to, to work. And I noticed that when I went back to work for a big company, I said, I got to get the hell out of here. And that's what I did. I, we started building a business plan and tried to, you know, we, and we launched our business after, after a few years. But, you know, it was one of those things that, uh, you know, I think coming out of corporate and not having a personal brand or nobody knew who I was, that was like, oh, shoot, you know, I'm a nobody outside of this big company I worked for. So that's why I started writing and had a website, did blog posts and, you know, and, uh, and that's when I started, you know, kind of building up what I, what I do, but, but leadership is a natural thing for me. And the other thing too, is, um, I'm really, you know, I really have a goal to try to get rid of, you know, to, to build a world with better bosses, I say. 
And so I like to, I speak to a lot of universities, to graduate students and talk to them about the leadership side of business because they, they hear, they learn about accounting and sales and, you know, all this stuff, but they never get any lessons in leadership. So I get out there and try to talk to them about real stories of what it's like to lead people in, in, in a real business. Hmm. Why do you think leadership is so important then? Because I mean, it sounds like I was just imagining like, uh, you know, you're saying that it, it sucks, you know, it, being in that in that uh, bubble there in corporate America. And and from all the movies that you see, I, the, the show that I'm thinking of is Mad Men. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it, it seems like they have like their stereotypical um, corporate America has their stereotypical. You know, these are the bosses. These are the worker bees. There's just no like really middle ground here. Um, cutthroat. Um, if there's if if that's a system that's in place. Right and the winners are going to win and the losers are going to lose, then why does leadership even matter at that point? Yeah. Well, it, see, the thing is it, it does. And it does. It's funny. I've been thinking about this. Um, I had a, a, a former colleague of mine. Uh, she started her own business. She was on my podcast last week. And she said that um, she said this, she said, well, it wasn't until I started my own business that I felt like I could be authentic. I could be my true self. And I, we, we had a discussion. And one of the things I noticed is, when I was working closer to headquarters, I was this kind of buttoned up, clean, do everything by the book kind of. But as I, I was running plants in kind of remote areas where managers never came out, and that was sort of like we we were we were operating like back on the boat. It was very so so we were able to have that kind of those kind of relationships with people, and, and so it was almost like the closer you got to upper management, the more you know straight laced you had to kind of be. And then when you're out sort of in the in the field or, you know, in a remote uh, manufacturing plant like I was, um, you could kind of be yourself. And um, so I think, you know, uh, Jocko says it. He says there's no such thing as a, a bad team. It's only bad leaders. And I, I see that, too, as I see I saw businesses that would completely change almost overnight when they got a manager in there that knew what they were doing. Right. And, and had and could have that relationship with people. So it, it does impact. It does impact the uh, performance of, uh, of you, you know. Isn't that kind of funny how, you know, you said the closer you are to headquarters, the more tight lace you are. Well, in the Navy, it's like the closer you are to D.C. or Norfolk, the more <laughs> tight lace you are. And they say the West Coast, they say that's, you know, you need to get on the West Coast because that's where all the fun's at because it's further away from D.C. and Norfolk and all that. It's, a you know, even a small business you know, is, is the same way, you know, compared to the, you know, to big Navy, it's kind of the same similarities there. Yeah, no, I agree. Think about it, like a TRE or an, or an ORS, right? Everybody yeah. just puckered up. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. Just like the whole, the whole so, boat changed, um, right? <laughs> so I, you know, I kind of stalked your Instagram a little bit and uh, I, you know, I, I, I noticed a uh, shout out to sailors, uh, sailors and sticks. I noticed you had one of their cigar cutters, uh, posted. Yeah, so, no, so, I, are, so I'm you're really uh, for what these guys, those guys are doing. So yeah, I'm like, man, uh, awesome. I'm in the old sailors and sticks group. So yeah. Yeah. Good, cool, man. <laughs> yeah. the, the over 50 crowd. So. Yeah. I, I saw, uh, I, I was looking at your Instagram and I was like, uh, um, I saw the sailors and six cutter and I was like, Oh yeah, man, I have to give him a plug and give him a shout out. Uh, so, 
I never laugh so hard when I listen to their podcast. I I, yeah. I miss those conversations. I miss being back on the boat on the midwatch, having those fun fun conversations. And I laugh so hard. I, I mean, I'm in my car sometimes going to work, and I'm just I'm, there's tears coming down my eyes. I'm laughing so hard. It just takes you back. Where it, takes it really you. does. So, it really does. So yeah. now we're talking about sailors and sticks. You know what's sailors and sticks all about? They're all about drinking whiskey and smoking cigars, right? So what's yeah. your what is your favorite? Uh, cigar whiskey combo. So I like it all. I'm I'm I, I'm a bourbon guy. So um and um you I'm know, drinking for Woodford you, drinking Woodford Reserve right now. Yeah, yeah. see, I I'm not drinking anything right now. I got a soda. <laughs> but, uh, I was exactly. I was last night. I was drinking last night by the fire. We had a fire fire pit, and uh, but I like um. So I've always uh, Buffalo Trace has been sort of like oh yeah. I just had that last week. Yeah, so I've, that's kind of a go-to, but uh, I've been kind of venturing out and some, trying some really cool stuff. Uh, I, last night I had the Mitchters. I had a Mitchters, and that was really good. Um, I've got some Weller now that I've been trying, and I've got um, – I actually got Blanton for the first time, and I, I saw it really – really see why people like that. So it's it's, it's good. So I, I kind of like a smoother bourbon uh, maybe, and uh, hmm. that's what I, what I enjoy, so – I'm gonna I'm gonna make myself look like an ass here, and it's not related to you at all, John. But just <laughs> just because you're a little bit more wise than I, and I haven't asked Brian or Nick Church yet, what is the point of smoking a cigar? Because I used to smoke cigarettes at like 18, like every other 18 year old does when they turn 18. But what is the point of smoking a cigar if you're not inhaling? Is it just for the for the flavor? Because I'm trying to get on the sailors and sticks thing, and it it's really nice, you know. But like I. I don't know why I'm smoking a cigar if I'm not inhaling it. John, you don't have to answer that question if you don't want to. I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, you can you can still get the nicotine. I mean, you you did. Yeah. yeah. So you can still get it orally. Yeah, you get it orally. So I I think it's like it's like a um I don't know, it's a ritual. I think that's the best way to describe it, right? It's mm. it's the lighting of the cigar. It's there are certain notes in the beginning of a cigar. As you get into the middle of it, there's a different taste to it. You get towards the end, there's a different taste. It's just sort of, mm. I don't know, it's, it's relaxing. And, you know, and, and with, you know, with a cigar, it's, it's, it's 45 minutes to an hour, depending on what you're, what you're smoking. And, um, and I just think that uh, that's a, it's a time to just relax, you know, yeah. and, and just, you know, you're not in a rush and we're, we're so busy now with everything going on and social media, this and, you know, I'm running a business, writing books, and you know, I've got a lot going on. This is my time to just chill out, relax, and just enjoy. Like I said, I, uh, I was going to make myself look like an ass. I just, I just, I'm going to, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send out a survey from Test Steps email so it's not me asking and just send it out to millions of people and figure out. No, don't, do it. don't make us look at, like that. Uh, <laughs> at, at my wedding, my, my stepdad actually, he brought uh, Cahiba cigars from Cuba, like real Cahibas. Oh, that's my favorite, by the way. Oh yeah. man, and I and I had one, and I and that's when I knew I was like, "This is this is it, like this is what a like a that that set the tone for cigars for me." So now every time I go to his house, I'm like, "Hey, uh, you happen to have any Cahibas?" And he was like, "No, I'm saving them for this yada yada yada." And I think uh, after my son was born, me and him smoked one, but uh, Cahibas. Um, Gurkhas, I like Gurkhas. I mean, I'm, and I don't smoke them all the time because I'm not a big smoker. But, um, but if I get a hold of a good cigar and a and a damn good scotch or a damn good bourbon, 
you damn yeah i'm I'm lighting up a cigar for sure <laughs> yeah. do you ever uh do you ever get to go to the uh bridge and smoke a cigar in the bridge that's where i that's where i did a lot of it so um yeah and that's really cool you know because i heard actually i heard the guys talking on sailor sticks about like what what cigar did they smoke on the bridge for the first time and i like you know i was laughing because i have no idea what i was smoking because I, I can't even remember back that far but um, that's actually where it was sort of more of a tradition. You know, I, whenever I was off the deck, I'd always have a cigar on the bridge, you know? Yeah. And, uh, it was sort of tradition. I found an old picture of mine, um, where it's got a picture of me on the bridge with, with a cigar. I mean, back in, you know, so we're talking 92 or something, you know, so a long, yeah. long time. I wasn't even born yet. That's, yeah. uh, that's funny. Cause I think Parham posted a couple of pictures of me smoking a cigar in the bridge and, yeah. uh, I'll give a plug to Andrew Cole here. Um, oh, good old um, Cole. Good old yeah. Andrew. And yeah. Cole, uh, where I think me, I was a uh, lookout and Parham, you were the UI and Inge Cole, he was, uh, uh, off the deck in the bridge and he just kind of turned around and was like, you want a cigar? And I was like, you damn right. I want a cigar. <laughs> <laughs> there we were, had a, had a freaking blast. It, I'd get, I'd smoke anything in the bridge, anything I'd get a hold of cigarettes, whatever. Um, it's, it's it funny was just like a, me. You finally get fresh just, air and what, yeah, what do you, you want to do? Smoke something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Even if it was a, a nasty ass cigarette, it's like if you're gonna if if someone, you know, brings you up a, a smoke up the ladder, you're gonna smoke it in the bridge. I mean, no matter what it is. You'd still we would still smoke the cigarettes in the bridge, even if they tasted like aiming, which was yeah. Be like, yeah. I'm smoking which, this anyway. You notice I'm not I'm the only one not contributing in this conversation because I have never even oh been in the God. bridge of a submarine. Uh, his yeah, whole this, entire this, time what? never went up. <laughs> I don't that, know. I like. I had so many opportunities, and I was just like, "Nah, I'm not gonna go up." Fuck it. That, this poor that, bastard never did it. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I think I heard you say that on another podcast, and I just felt bad for you right away. Yeah, that's, I know. I, that's, I know. that's actually the the best part about, for me at least. You know, I, I guess you know. I told you about my background. I wanted to, you know, be an officer of deck. That was, I wanted to, you know, get that role. And to me, being being on the bridge. Uh, as officer deck was like the best ever. And, and um, I was just thinking, you know, we're talking about cigars in the bridge. We were down in Autech, right? We were doing some torpedo shooting shoots. Mm-hmm. I think we had a TRE or whatever, but, um, but I got uh mid watch officer deck and I was up there just smoking a cigar and every star in the world was above me. Nice. And that's when the moment I said, I finally did it. I achieved my dream. You know, I've got, you know, I got dolphins on my chest and I'm officer of the deck. I'm in, a freaking Caribbean smoking a cigar under all these stars. And like, there is no other place in the world I want to be right now. It's just the coolest yeah. thing ever. But you got out. What, what happened? Why did you, why'd you quit? Why did I quit? So I got, I got, I was on the USS Tennessee and she was like brand new when I got there. Um, I made seven patrols and uh, I was going to see a lot. And uh, a lot of patrols. Everybody, um, everybody I knew, um, so all the senior senior officers, everyone I knew had been divorced at least once. And uh, that was just sort of the standard practice. Senior enlisted, you know, officers, you're, you're going to at least get one divorce. And so I was trying to not get one divorce. So uh, one, of the, one of the reasons I, I was married. Um, and so we just decided to cut our losses, go, go into the civilian sector, see what I could do there. But I really had no idea what I was going to do as a civilian because my only Role, only goal I had was to get to the submarine force and be an officer. And after that, I didn't really have a life plan. Hey, I mean, the submarine life though is a once in a lifetime experience and it's definitely memories that you're, you're going to keep with you forever. So 
So, yeah, yeah. So you said earlier in the podcast you 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 knew you wanted to to you know get into undersea warfare pretty early on. Um, where did you choose to get your uh, higher education before you joined the the, the military? I went to, I was an ROTC guy. I went to Worcester Polytech in Worcester, Massachusetts and studied uh, mechanical engineering. So yeah, the school nobody ever heard of. You know, I think one of the things that was more intimidating for me and and, and Jason didn't really get into it too much um, when you interviewed him. But for me, when I went to Nuke Power School, I had, you know, I graduated with an engineering degree from Worcester Polytech and I was around people like other officers who had graduated from all these top engineering schools around the country. And these guys were like straight A students. And, and, and uh, that's where I really felt intimidated. Like, Oh crap. I mean, yeah. no one's ever heard of the school I went to. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm with guys from MIT and, you know, Georgia tech and all these great schools. I'm like, Holy. Cow. I got a, I got a funny little quick story for you, John. Uh, I, so I was a yeoman or whatever. And, uh, I was sitting in the yeoman, I I was sitting in the yeoman shack and we had a, a a new junior officer come up and this junior officer today is, you know, one of the best guys I've ever fricked in, you know, had the opportunity to work with, but, uh, he comes up and he's like, Hey, I'm new. I'm checking in. Yada, yada, yada. And I was like, Oh, and I picked his brain for a minute. I was like, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, where are you from? He was from Massachusetts. And I was like, yeah, where'd you go to? He was like, oh, I went to uh, MIT. I studied uh, nuclear engineering, yada, yada, yada. And I was like, oh, crap. I said, man, that's, that's freaking, that's freaking awesome. And he was like, oh, yeah. And uh, so I gave him some paperwork. I gave him the paperwork and he was like, uh, uh, how do I, how do I fill this out? And I said, well, the, t- I said that the top, the t- <laughs> I said, the top says name, so I, I'm pretty sure you can figure that out for yourself, huh? <laughs> and just just that moment, he, he, a junior officer, he comes on, he's from MIT, nuclear engineering, and he said, I gave him the paperwork, and he said, how do I fill this out? And I said, well, the top says name, so I mean, you know, put your you know name. What, you know what, I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah, God, great God bless freaking the man. guy. God bless yeah. the man. God bless. One of the but, best officers I've ever, ever worked for, period. Hey, he was, so as an FT, you interact with JOs quite a bit um, after they do their engineering portion. So they get do the engineering quals and then they come up forward and they get to, they get to learn how to like drive the boat and stuff and make the tactical decisions. So they get through all this like high level engineering, nuclear stuff. And then they Nuking come up it. forward. Yeah. Nuclear. Uh, <laughs> uh, they, they, uh, they get into this world of, you know, it's, it's not what they've been doing. This is tactics and uh, it's completely different than, than your math equations that you've been doing in the engine room. Right. This is not that. And, you know, this is more of like thinking it's like abstract almost. And it's just like, do you not see what you're looking at? Like, come on. <laughs> like, it's like this is, and, and it's so funny because they, they come up there with, with a, a kind of a notion of how things are supposed to go. And they think that you follow a certain procedure when really in, in the world of like uh, warfare tactics, it's not, it's not something that anyone is going to follow out of a book because if you're following a book, then you're easily going to be the first person picked off. Like you're, you're, you're such an easy target. If you're following a book, you have to be abstract. Yeah, absolutely. And the, uh, 
the the God officer I'm, the the officer yeah. I'm talking about uh you know he he got his uh he got his he ended up getting his masters from uh from MIT and back on August 31st he made a post he uh he's going to Harvard Business School so and, and you know one of the one of the <laughs> the best freaking officers I've ever had the chance to work for and I still keep in touch with him he still shoots me a message every once in a while but it was just a little funny story about how and like people don't realize when when you get on a submarine you are working with like top notch level brilliant people yeah just brilliant people uh and it's 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 crazy but at the same time like th- these brilliant people that like everyone thinks that you know, they, you know, have this submariners kind of have this misconception of, you know, the whole dungeon, dungeons and dragons thing. But <laughs> hey, there was definitely some D&D going on, Cruise Man. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> and there was, but um, yeah, that, What's I, I, I think I had the. I, I'm glad I got to work with the, the caliber of people I, that I got to work with. And that was, that was freaking awesome. John, what's your uh, well? Were you going to say something? Go ahead. No, I was going to say from 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 the front of the boat to the to, you know to back aft. I mean, you were working with the best of the best, and and it wasn't it was you know it was officers enlisted, senior enlisted. I mean, that's the caliber of people you work with, and then you kind of step into like the civilian world, and you're like, oh shoot, <laughs> <laughs> you're just like you're disappointed because you think everyone's that way, right? So I yeah, mean, my first job, right? My first job out of university is going on the USS Tennessee where I was around all these brilliant and amazing. I mean, these are people, the, the, the enlisted nukes I served with could, would crush any college student. I, I, I was just in college with I mean, they were really, yeah. sharp, sharp people. I mean, and, and a lot of them I know, you know, had got out and they got, they, they have more degrees than I have at this point. Right. They just, they've just, you know, blown up and, and done some amazing things. But um, yeah. So you're with these high caliber people and then you kind of step into the civilian world and you're just, you know, it's, it's so different. It's so much so different. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, you talk, we, we always talk about the nukes and how smart they are. One thing our podcast has to get better at, we got to bring more nukes on because some of my best friends on board were, were nukes and some of the most brilliant people you'll, you'll ever have the freaking opportunity to work with. And I think that's one thing that, you know, only on the midwatch has to do better is, Get some of these nukes on. I don't think, besides affirmative action for the nukes, dude. Besides officers, we haven't had a single nuke on. Period. You gotta get, yeah, you gotta get get a few nukes on. Yeah, Yeah. they've got some crazy stories back back in the engine room. Did you see? Did you see Test Up share uh, uh, Chrysler's post of him benching? I did. Yeah, I did see that. I saw it. Yeah. (laughs) Holy cow. Yeah, he had an ELT. Every, every, everyone says nukes are nerds, but I'm not fighting that guy. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a, I have a Helena connection. Oh, do you? So you guys are all Helena, right? Yeah, yeah. we were. Yeah, so my uh, my first uh, CO was the first CO of Helena. So Tom Moore. So that's crazy. Yeah. So he um, he was an 06 when he had the Tennessee, and uh, oh man, you talking about a cat? This guy was. He was, you know, I mean, serving under an 06 as an 01 is pretty intimidating, you can imagine. But he was just, he was literally the old man and he had been there, done that so many times. And uh, he was just an amazing guy to work for. He was, he was a hard ass, old school. 
he would kick officers. He would stand up in the flying bridge and kick you in the back of the head if you did something wrong in his officer deck. So, I mean, he he would he would you know he was he poke you in the chest and and he was old school, but uh, but he was an amazing captain. I mean, I learned everything from from him, and uh, just an amazing guy. But he was he, he his first boat was the Helena. So is yeah. he still alive? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He heard. Um, are you? He, he read a podcast or read a blog post I wrote one time and he was in it. And he, he, he had told my exo at the time, he said, Hey, tell Rennie. I said, Hey, cause I was still, I still uh, connected with our exo. Yeah. So. Man, people, gotta... You know, people get kind of, you know, people get kind of butthurt about the whole, you know, you used to talk about kicking in the back of the head and poking in the chest, but all the best officers and all the best chiefs and all the best leaders who I work for, they were for the most part, typically all pretty abrasive. Um, I'm, you you know, know, you're not you know, good unless you're physically it's demanding so true and I don't know you know it's funny because you know today in leadership I would say no don't do that but um, but I needed that at that age and I learned a lot more because of kind of a harsh leadership style or, you know yeah. I mean so we learned a lot I mean you knew not to piss off the captain that's for sure I came in at, I came in at 21 years old you can bet your ass I needed a swift kick in the ass I kind of said the same thing about uh, Chief Wingo on the last podcast with uh, Richie. Like he scratched my, he scratched all my egg and call cards when I was about to go do my fishboard, and I got, that's that's abrasive, if anything. You know what I'm saying? So like, I definitely nah, you don't know this. Yeah, I definitely needed that, and you know, someone who's uh, I don't know. I appreciate the military for what it for what it yeah, is. The, for the, what, the military has a weird like like a like a family dynamic. Like I would like if your brother punch you in the chest for saying something stupid you're not gonna get fucking mad about it like sure your brother punched you in the chest but and and you you had um and and, and that at the same time that person that gets like you know you, that you that you allow to you know do something you know that on a personal level like that to you at the same time if they have some crazy family event going on like you're going to understand and you're going to be happy for them or sad for them or you know you're going to be involved in that person's personal life i I think you had a blog post on your website about uh one of your employees having a uh she was announced that she was having a a baby or something like that and your whole and everybody was like so happy about it and i was like yeah that's like they make an announcement over the one mc if you're having a kid like everyone gets on board and was like yeah good job bro (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, we had each other's back. It was family. You know, it was um, I mean, it wasn't, you know, you know, it wasn't always perfect, but uh, but we were, you know, you you had respect for each other. Right. I mean, you one of the things, too, I've been writing about I'm, I've got a new book that I'm writing. It's called All in the Same Boat. That's my next book that's coming out. And um, but what one of the things I learned, too, is that there's, um, you know, submariners can be cruel, right? And they can be rough on you, right? I mean, the amount of pranks and, and um, I mean, when you're a nub, when you're not qualified, right? You just get a lot of shit and you get a lot of, and they come down on you hard, but there's something there, right? It's it's like a, like you were just saying, it's like family. Like, it's like, it's almost like a test. Like, are you, are you going to, are you fragile or are you tough enough to be able to, you know, get through that? Because I want to make sure you have my back when things go bad. Right. So mm-hmm. there was, there was something about there, there's a bond there, but there's also a lot of, I wouldn't call it hazing, but it's, 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 can it can be kind of rough peer to peer and, um, and the pressure to get qualified and the pressure to, to, yeah. um, you know, and, and I think that 
I think you you know you had to have thick skin, right? There there was um, people were always messing with you somehow, right? And um, but I think there's something there, and it's like a brotherhood. I think it's yeah. it's something that you're you're building a bond together, and and they're testing well, you all the time. Well, John, John, this may sound corny, but you know, in in order to to make a diamond, you have to have pressure, and yeah. you know, I always say that, and I I work in the fire service now, and the fire service is so similar to the submarine force. Hmm. You're taking you're taking your people, and you're asking them to do a job that is extremely hard or even impossible. And you're asking them to do it with perfection. And you're doing the mm. same thing in the submarine force. You're doing the exact same thing. Well, and the other thing is you don't want to go into a fire with a guy that you know is not competent or, or, or a woman. So, we're, so, right? so what are we going to do to ensure that they are, we're going to yeah. put them under pressure. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's something that uh, is really unique in, on, on the boats and, and probably sounds like it's in the fire service as well, but it's a very, it's, it's not in most companies. Let's put it that way. You don't see any of that kind of uh, right. pressure, you know, to really perform. Yeah. Hmm. Well, uh, John, it's, I've, I've had a freaking blast talking to you and I hope, I hope we can get you on here again. Cause uh, you, uh, you, you speak your leadership speaks to me in different ways and I've, I've had a I've really enjoyed talking to you yeah man it's been great thank you for coming on the show yeah I enjoyed it yeah when's that book coming out so we're we'll see it's supposed to oh. be it was supposed to be supposed to be this year but with covid and stuff we've been dragging our feet a little bit because people aren't going into bookstores so so we're probably going to um it, it'll either be by Christmas or we may wait until next year. So it's done. We're, we're just tweaking it right now and kind of getting it going, but uh, it's, it's kind of cool. It, there's eight chapters and, and uh, I, each chapter has got, uh, I think I've got like four C stories and then two business stories. So, you know, like, like the first chapter is run to the fire. And I talk about how one of the things we learned, everyone's a firefighter, right? And you run towards the fire, not away from it. Well, when you come into business, just the opposite, everybody runs away from problems. And, uh, and just bringing people back to lessons that I learned uh, on the boats and how I used it uh, in business. Okay. Great. Where can, uh, where can people find you on Instagram, Twitter, podcasts, all that stuff? Yeah. So my website is John And that's where we can get all my links are on there. Uh, you can also go to, I have which is my book. And, uh, uh, that you can get it there. And my, my, um, podcast is deep leadership. So it's deepleadershippodcast.com. You can get all that information there, but John S gets you everything right there. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks John for coming on the show. Once again, we look forward to having you on next time and you guys heard where you can find them. We'll catch you guys next time. Thanks.